Hi everybody, welcome to New Hope Church. We're glad that you're here. My name is Ian Buckley, I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church and today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Now, part of our role as fathers, I'm a father of four, is to provide for our families, uh, to protect them and to build those in your family up. However, if I was to tell you that there is a serious enemy in the neighborhood that's focused on attacking your family, trying to divide your marriage and pull down your faith, and specifically is deliberately working against you to threaten all that you hold dear, to steal from you, to kill your joy and your peace and to destroy your faith, would you want to know? who the enemy is, and what he's planning to do so that you can prepare and defend all that you hold precious and then defeat him. Well, here's the news from the Bible. There is such a real enemy. And the Bible tells us the truth about his mission. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Notice that's his mission. I came, Jesus is saying, that they may have life and life abundantly. Have it abundantly. What a blessing. Now, have you noticed there are all kinds of jokes and ridiculous comments made about the devil? Usually and most often by people who have never made a serious study of the adversary. Now, frankly, I have never found it funny to joke about the devil. See, I take Satan seriously. I'm not, though, intimidated by him, and I'm certainly not afraid of him. But I don't underestimate his power either to inflict great harm on people, on families and on marriages through temptation, through deception, and through destruction. Now, Satan is a source of all kinds of pain, all kinds of suffering in this world the actual root source, even in the life of believers. And his activities often show up in subtle forms, again, of temptation and discouragement. Or, he that's a subtle one, he may have something more in your face and unleash a furious storm of tragedy and destruction. The Bible tells us we can't ignore the potential damage it can do to our physical and our spiritual lives. That would be naive. To be naive is to be deceived. There are two types of typical mistakes, though, most Christians make when it comes to our adversary. The first one is not taking him seriously enough. In other words, underestimating him. And the second one, and I see, I, I saw this more in the recent past, is that some people see a demon behind every bush or under every rock, and they blame Satan for everything. They blame him for the headaches. They blame him for the flat tires. You know, the devil's having a great go. Or even the price of gas, the high price of it. So you can give the devil too much or too little attention. First Peter was written to people that were in pain, undergoing tremendous upheaval. But interestingly, Peter doesn't lament over that fact, nor does he offer his advice on how to escape the pain. Instead, he, he, square, he faces, faces it squarely, and he tells us not to be surprised by it, and even sees that God provides benefits for Christians enduring suffering. 
Because without some pain, there'll be very little growth and we remain sheltered and delicate and naive and immature. So our tendency when we're suffering is to think that God has often withdrawn his protection and he's abandoned us. But Peter says just the opposite. He says there's every reason to hope and to be encouraged because even in suffering, God is at work in our lives. In other words, there's purpose in our pain and God's purposes will never be out-trumped by our circumstances. Now, our confusion during difficult times stems from a lack of understanding about the role of pain in our lives. Yes, the ultimate culprit for so much of the world's pain and danger is our adversary, the devil. Although God, though, is at work in the the trials of our lives, so is Satan. So while God uses the trial to draw us closer to him, Satan uses the trial to use it as a lever to pry us apart from him. Now, in our passage of Scripture today, Peter is going to give us some crucial advice on how to do battle with the devil and keep him from gaining victory over our lives. Now, you should just pause a second to reflect on this. Here's the man, Peter, who had failed so notoriously, so badly, that it was written up in all four Gospels. Not one, four, for everyone to read throughout centuries. Now, I don't know about you, but when you and I make mistakes, it's we try to, you know, minimize it a bit. Here, it was clear for everybody to see. So before we jump into our passage today, I want us to just take a step back and get a bit of an overview of just this chapter. Five points that stand out in this chapter as we as we look at it. Number one is overall. It's a chapter that gives wise commands and gives wise advice. This is chapter 5. Secondly, it gives initially advice to elders on shepherding God's flock. And part of that is making sure that wolves don't come in in sheep's clothing. Uh, thirdly, this chapter talks it has advice to all of us on being successful in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. And fourth, there's a piece of advice on dealing with Satan, which is what we're going to deal with today. And that's verse 8 through 11. Now, Peter then finally is going to close with some personal comments in 12 to 14. So let's get started with some sober instructions on battle tactics from a man who'd done the battle. Been there, done that. In his book, Your Adversary the Devil, Dwight Pentecost compares the tactics of a physical battle to those of a spiritual one. No individual, he says, can be victorious against the adversary of assault unless, one, he understands that adversary. In other words, what's the problem? And two, he understands the philosophy and his methods of that temptation. Again, let's just look at this verse, John 10.10. The thief, this is our adversary, the guy that tries to spring it on you, comes only, this is his purpose, only, it's focused, To steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So whoever lives under the impression that Satan doesn't exist 
is living in a dream world. They're delusional. In clear, unmistakable terms, Peter now identifies and describes the devil in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking. There's an active part there. Seeking, an active verb. Someone to devour. The purpose of Satan can be largely determined by his many names in the scriptures. Satan goes by many titles, several of them. Uh, we're going to look at here. Peter uses the term, the word adversary. And that means the, the definition of an adversary is as an opponent in a lawsuit. That's an adversary. And then Peter also uses the term the devil, which is from the Greek word diabolos, which means a slanderer, slanderer, or an accuser of God's people. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, he's called the destroyer, referring, of course, to his destructiveness. Destructiveness in people's faith, in their families. Revelation 12, 10, he's referred to as the accuser of their brethren. He's bent on defaming people, especially Christians, and defeating them and discouraging us. And he prowls, the Bible says, he prowls, lurking, waiting for a moment to pounce when we're off guard. Like a roaring lion, the scriptures talk about, ravenous with hunger. His goal is to take us out. It's to destroy our faith, to destroy our family, and to destroy our future. Recently, some of the members of our church took a missions trip to Uganda, and there we saw some lions. And one of the things we know about lions is lions attack the sick and the young and the straggling animals. And they choose victims who are alone. And they're not alert, they're distracted. Maybe they're feeding on something else, or they're wounded. Peter warns us to watch out for Satan, especially when we're suffering or being persecuted, like these folks he was writing to, or when you're feeling alone, or weak, or helpless, or cut off from other believers. You're vulnerable. Or you're so focused on your troubles that you forget to watch for other danger. Now, those are the times when you're particularly vulnerable to Satan's attack. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who better than Peter would know about the prowlings of Satan? Several times, Jesus warned Peter that Satan was after him. But Peter failed to heed the warning. And likewise today, too many Christians have gone to sleep, failed to heed the warning, and have opened a way for Satan to attack because they are not being watchful, being sober-minded. So the question is, I have for you this morning, let's get real practical. How observant are you? Really? How observant are you? Are you really observant? Let's test that theory. I'm going to give you a quick pop quiz. So if you've got a pen, I want you to, and you're sitting with other people, just don't let them see your answer. I want to see how alert you are. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to read this sentence. And as you read it, 
Please count the number of ifs in the sentence. Keep it quiet and to yourself. Another couple of seconds. Three, two, one. Now, imagine that we're all together and I want you to raise your hand if you found three and only three ifs. Those of you who are sitting together, notice. Did anybody find four? And only four. How about five? Anybody find five ifs? Anybody find six? Well, there are six ifs in that statement. It's very easy to miss, right? I missed it first time. Do you know the two-letter word ending in the if that many of us missed? It's the word of. If you want that, ping us and we'll send you a copy of it. Now, what's our response? So knowing that there is a predator lurking and it's very easy to be off guard and not be paying attention, not being watchful, what should our primary response be to that enemy? First thing, is we need to recognize that we have a real enemy who is a real threat. In other words, keep a sharp lookout for the predator. Not be blasé. Remember the Fs? The devil's hope is to be ignored and written off as a childhood fairy tale and to be dismissed from the mind of the educated person. Just like a thief breaking into a home, Satan doesn't want to call attention to himself. He wants to be incognito mode. Which reminds me, when we were in Uganda, we were driving along this track, and these lions were incognito mode. They were disguised. You had to look very carefully. And all of a sudden, one of them just roared at us. And it gave us all a great start because it was very, very close to the van that we're in. Our second response is to resist them and stand firm in our faith. So what are we to do when we're standing nose to nose with the adversary. Should we panic? Should we run? Should we surrender? No, no, no. Peter says, resist him. Standing, he's saying here, firm in your faith. So resist him, firm in your faith. Now resist, this word calls to mind an army. Standing together to oppose the enemy. And notice the command is matched with a vital qualification. Resist firm in your faith. We don't resist Satan with confidence in our own ability and our own power. Anytime we do that, we're going to be outmatched and overmatched. We are to be firm in our faith in the all-powerful God, relying on his strength to stand against the wicked uh, works of the devil. Now, James likewise encourages us to stand against Satan. And as we read, please notice, humbly submitting to God, goes hand in hand with resisting the devil. James 4. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So Peter, James and Paul all knew that we can experience decisive victory over Satan. They knew that although... Our strength is insufficient in and of ourselves, but when we turn to the Lord, we can draw on his limitless power through faith. 
And then we can stand against the adversary in him. Now, Peter adds another source of strength and the confidence that comes from knowing that we are not fighting alone. And he says this in number three. He says, remember, you are not alone. First Peter 5, 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, Christians all around the world, a great army of believers have been in this same spiritual battle, stretching all throughout history right up into the present day. And they've all taken part in this relentless, doesn't stop this battle. Hebrews 12, 1 talks about this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, things that slow you down for pursuing the kingdom, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. The race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, whom, or who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sin such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So our hope is strengthened when we remember that believers stand shoulder to shoulder with each other across the globe with Jesus, enduring the same kinds of sufferings, facing the same kinds of obstacles, experiencing the same kind of victory. And the strength that comes from God's caring and praying community cannot be appreciated enough. Because God designed the body of Christ to function that way. Remember, that other Christians are going through the same trials that you are, so you're not alone. Now, if Satan, though, can get us to uh, feel that we're alone, then we will be discouraged and more easily defeated. But as we've said many times, remember, we are not lone rangers doing hand-to-hand combat with a superior foe. Rather, we're a platoon of vigilant, watchful, alert soldiers watching each other's back, moving forward towards a victory that's assured by God's power, not their own. Number four, remain alert. We must keep our eyes open and not relax our guard. Remember what happened to David when he relaxed, got a few notches under his belt, and he left the battle. He fell into sin. You'll find that in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Or when Peter felt self-confident, he fell headlong into Satan's trap. And remember, again, oh my goodness, this is so widely reported that all four Gospels include that account. Number five, we need to be rooted in knowing and obeying God's word. That's how we defend. See, Satan uses lies as his chief weapon. He misrepresents. So believers must counteract Satan's lies with God's truth. Now Jesus, if you read about it in Matthew 4, he resisted all of the devil's temptations because he not only knew scripture, but he also obeyed it. Ephesians 6.17 says that God's word is a sword. And you don't use a sword to, I don't know, have a shave or 
to whistle a few prunings in the garden. You use it for mortal combat. Ephesians 6.17b says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we conclude from that, knowing Bible verses is an important step in helping us resist the devil's attacks. But we must also, knowing it's one thing, obeying is another. So when you read that account, notice in Matthew 4 that Satan had memorized scripture. That's half the equation. But he failed on the second part. He failed to put into practice and obey it. So knowing and obeying the Bible ensures that we follow God's desires rather than the devil's. Friends, Satan's tactics are designed to cause doubt and denial and disobedience and deception and the destruction of God's people and his plan. That's what he'd love to do. And one of Satan's most effective weapons is counterfeiting. Satan is a counterfeiter. Now, just as Satan himself deceives the world, Satan himself deceives the world by masquerading as an angel of light, so his devilish servants disguise themselves also as servants of righteousness, which are really false ministers with counterfeit ministries. Now, Paul comments on this, particularly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, it's no surprise if his, that Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So the servants of Satan, he's saying, may appear Christian, and they may look right and sound right and good at first sight, but the end will be according to their deeds, and they will fall victim to their own lies, and ultimately, guys, they're going to perish without Christ. Then Peter echoes Paul's warnings several years later. He says this, There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Remember, friends, we have a message of hope, which is based on Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. So when you come in contact with a fake ministry or a false teacher, you should share that message, but stay on the offensive. Know your Bible. You need to stick to the central issues, not peripheral ones, like who's riding the red horse in the book of Revelation, the central issues, which are Jesus Christ and salvation, and don't entertain any of the doctrines for one moment. What may initially look kind of like intriguing really may be a coil rattler waiting to strike. It's worth commenting here. Please notice that and keep in mind that a false teacher is not a person who teaches a false doctrine out of ignorance. 
For example, in Acts chapter 18, Apollos mistakenly taught the message and the baptism of John. He was corrected, of course, by Aquila and Priscilla, but he was not a false teacher. False teachers, on the other hand, are professed believers who appear to know the truth, but deny the essentials of their faith, all the while promoting themselves, getting financial gain from their followers, whilst they live in sin to please themselves, and they use deceptive means to twist the word of God to soon their own perverted ends. They're like ministerial charlatans. But that's not new. They've often troubled the flock of God. They're artificial. They're not genuine. But the Bible says their end is condemnation and destruction. So Peter talks about the pain that we go through in this life. That's who he's talking to, people who are in pain. But he also reminds them of their rewards and that their victory will be certain. Peter reminds us clearly, in no uncertain circumstances, that suffering and pain accompany the battle. No one who has endured an enemy attack emerges without some measure of pain. And the battles, they may shake us, they may shock us, and sometimes they'll leave some pretty ugly scars. But what happens when the dust settles? Well, Peter lists four benefits that come with God's heavenly version of the Purple Heart Medal. Here they are in 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There it says, he will restore us, he will confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us. So Peter paints here a picture of a well-grounded, solid, firm, seasoned warrior who comes through the battle with maturity and stability that couldn't have been developed in any other way. But isn't it, even as we go through the fiery ordeal that God allows in our lives to, to refine us, to strengthen us, to mature us and grow us, we can continue to have hope because of four unforgettable truths. Now, every believer should inscribe these truths on his or her mind. Firstly, in that verse, it mentions that in verse 10a, it says the suffering is only for a little while. Secondly, it's accompanied by God's grace and his calling. It has a holy purpose, number three, that reverses and spites Satan's pursuits. And number four, in verse 11, all through it, thankfully, God remains in control. The Bible says, To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 5, 11. Finally, there are two necessary reminders as we close out this passage. Number one, never confuse confidence in Christ with cockiness or confidence in the flesh. Never confuse those. Secondly, always remember that suffering is temporal, but God's rewards are eternal. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in your eternal word and the light that it brings to our understanding 
so that we are aware and we can be watchful. So that we may watch for the enemy's tactics and not fall for them. Father, we boldly ask for help to recognize and resist the enemy as he prowls around looking for ways to attack us. Holy Spirit, would you keep us rooted firmly in your word and keep us faithful and obedient to it. Help us recognize, Holy Spirit, give us that discernment, give us that counsel that we may recognize the counterfeits in this world in these turbulent days. Thank you that through your grace and through the power of your Spirit, Lord, we can stand firm against the enemy of our souls in your strength. Thank you that we're never alone, that, Lord, you come to live within us and never leave us. And that because of your ever-abiding presence, we can have eternal victory. In your precious and powerful name, amen. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day and enjoy this worship.